saved, or people who were sick, but we wanted to see God move as we pray on their behalf. I want to ask, because we just sang a very powerful song, and I think it is on. We just sung a very powerful song that kind of helps us to see who we and how we engage for them. And I want to ask this morning, we're not praying for a jar. We're praying for loved ones. We're We're not just praying for something. We're praying for someone this morning. I wonder if we can put the picture of that person's mind. Get the picture in front of you right now. Can we do that? And let's just intercede for them for a moment. Lillian, let us know this morning. Lillian, and I normally sit over there. She's she let us please pray for her. She's got intense back pain, and she's, um, she's really, really struggling. And that's one person who's, who we're going to pray for this morning. But get the, the picture of that person. If you don't know what to pray, pray for their salvation, but pray for the Lord to open their eyes so that they will receive him and see him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that we can engage heaven, Lord, this morning on behalf of our loved ones and friends. And we want to petition heaven this morning for them in Jesus' name. Father, we want to pray that you will open their eyes in the name of Jesus, that you will lead them to a place of conviction, Father to who you are. Give them a revelation of who you are. Give them a revelation of who they are without you as well in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you for salvation for them. Thank you for healing for them now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's continue to pray for them until we see the breakthrough and trusting we'll see many, many, many more. Thank you. How many Irish guys have we got here? Are the Irish guys leaving now? You can just hang on for a minute. I want to tell a story about you. Wayne and Andy were renovating a house a little while ago. I don't know if you know the story. If they know the story, they were renovating a house a little while ago, and Wayne was doing the floorboards with nail and hammer, knocking the nails in to keep the floorboards down. And every now and again, he tossed a nail away. Uh, and he said to him, what are you doing? He said, those nails, nails are upside down. So then he said to him, but don't be silly. Save them for the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Blessed to have the Irish with us. Does that sound all right, Wayne? Father, I want to pray that even as we look into your word this morning and we look into life, that your word will come to life, life for us, Lord. It will become alive. 
Help us to grab onto, Father, the truth and the reality of your word. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. And live it. Walk it out and see it happen around us. In the name of Jesus. I've been very concerned lately. In, I've been reading quite a bit about... <coughs> let me start at the beginning. Be better, hey? We're living in troubled times. Would you agree? Would you agree that the world is the Makar? I mean, it is when you look on just about every single level. The world is the Makar. And so I've been reading quite a bit about prophecy and what Jesus said about the end times and so on. And we, we cannot deny that what's happening around us has been told to us before in the Word. And so it's good for us to know what's happening in the Word because in many cases Jesus warns us about this time and gives us indications as to what's going to be happening at this time. So we need to be aware. We need to be aware that we're not like the elect that it speaks about in Matthew 24 that will fall away because of the persecution that's going to come. So we warn that persecution is going to come. We warn that confusion is going to come. And so we need to be aware of the fact that things are going to come against us which might not be in our playbook at this time. We want to be happy and healthy, wealthy, and wise, don't we? And so, and so when we look, at, we look at end times, we know that things are going to happen that is going to make be a bit confusing. So I called the message that I was going to preach this morning future proofing future-proofing us, so that we can see the future and understand it as we move into it, we do it safely. As I got up this morning, though, and started to pray, I really feel the Lord took me back to something that I preached a couple of weeks ago, and that is not finished with that yet, so we'll get to future-proofing future <laughs> in the next couple of weeks, and maybe we'll look at it into the year as well, because it's important that we that we do that, that it's so important that we build a very strong biblical worldview so that we don't get confused about the things that happen around us. And I really want to encourage us as a congregation to go and read Gen Genesis 1 to 11 over this time. Won't dwell on it. Read it prayerfully, because that forms the basis of our worldview as to what the, God intended for us to, to enjoy uh, while we're on the face of the earth. How, this thing's ringing. Hello, 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 everybody. It's, is that better? That's a little bit better, a bit better. How we engage our friends and our family um, is so important because it could mean the difference of salvation and being lost, how we engage them. If we come across to, our, and, and it's so difficult witnessing to our friends, and I really want to speak about how, how we can witness to the people around us during, during this time, because we often get a lot of visitors, people who in our home, and pe we might be going away and meeting a lot of people. And it's so important that we know how to relate to them in a way that will draw them closer to Christ. We can know that what our responsibility is and what our responsibility isn't. Uh, and so uh, I want to share a little bit about that. I, the, I titled it, um, Open Our Eyes, Lord, um, because it's open their eyes too, so that we can, we can partner with God as far as what's happening in the spirit domain. I don't know about you, but I have been to so many evangelism courses. At one time, I thought that I was an evangelist. Uh, I was hiring a megaphone and preaching on the street corners in George. 
only problem is the people I knew walked wide circles around me. They didn't come near me. And, and after a while, I realized that people aren't getting saved. <laughs> and um, as, as the, my, my ministry has kind of become established over the last 30 or so years, I realized I'm actually a pastor teacher, and I'm quite happy with that. But I'd love to see the saved, the lost saved. I'd love to see people coming to Christ. And so it's important that we, all of us, do the work of an evangelist at least so that we know how to engage, engage the lost. I said a couple of weeks ago, I said if we become accustomed to our trouble and just accept our trouble, it leads to our eventual demise. So in other words, if we're in a place of trouble, if, if other people are in a place of trouble, and we just get used to it, we just get used to the pain, and we decide that we're going to live with the pain, we just become so accustomed to it that we, that we just accept what comes our way after a while. And we never really see that God wants better for us. If we, get so, if we let our pain dictate to us, we become so accustomed to it. One, one of the programs I love watching on TV is um, when they do the makeovers. Uh, they do a makeover of a house. For instance, there was some guys in America that would come in and take a family that was really needy and, and they'd, they'd do the house makeover. I can't remember all the details as to how they get them out of the house and and then they come in, they bring a whole team in, and they like, beat that whole house to the ground and then rebuild it again within a week or two, and then there's this beautiful house. And when the, new, when the family moves back into their new home, I love that moment. I don't know if you, I mean, you, it, even to the extent of getting a tear in your eye, when they come in and they say, keep your eyes closed, and then they bring them in and they all they stand, the mom and the dad and the kids are standing there, with their eyes closed, they say, okay, you can open your eyes now. And they're like, oh, wow. Wow. And they run and they, wow, look at this, mommy. And where's my room? And they run off to the, and they get so excited about the room that they're, that they're in. And that's something like our relationship with God. When we, when we, we haven't got a clear understanding of the misery that we're in, and many Christians today haven't got a clear understanding of the misery. We actually, we get converted more to a lifestyle than from disaster to life. Would you agree with me? I mean, we, people, pe people are maybe good people and they do good things and never get a revelation of what they are without Jesus. And so they haven't got that picture before picture. And it's important that we understand the before picture. It's important that we, when we've lived in that environment, knowing that this is not what God intended for me or my family or my friends. God's got a better plan. He's busy knocking down the old and putting up the new so that when we walk into it, we say, wow, isn't this amazing? Isn't God, I mean, just think of it. Well, look what God has done for me. He's taken me from death, assured death, body, soul, and spirit, and given me new life in Christ. Wow! But that sounds strange in many Christian circles, doesn't it? We just sing the hymn, we sing the song, we do, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. You know what I'm saying? We get used to it. We get used to, we become accustomed 
to the process, instead of allowing that vision of what it was like before I met Christ, what it was like for all of us before the cross was erected, before salvation came, and then salvation came, and it changed us and transformed us. And look who we are now, a son and daughter of the Most High God. Just look at me now. Look at the authority that God has given me. Look at the ring he's put on my finger. His authority. That I can call the things that are not as though they were because he has given me authority to do that. I'm not just saved. I'm not just a Christian and a non-Christian and then a Christian. I've been translated from darkness, from death to life. I'm a different creature, a different creation. Jesus asked his disciples something very similar to this. He wanted his disciples to know, if he'd, to understand that it, this was makeover territory. So he said to them, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? Who do the people say I am? And what's Jesus say? He's not, Jesus isn't wanting to be famous. He's wanting to, I want to see if people really see. I want to see if they see, if they know what's happening. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, got the picture. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're not just a prophet. You're not just a summer, what other people are saying. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I love that reply. I love that response. He's got something. Something has happened. It clicked when he saw Jesus wasn't just a healer. He wasn't just a good man. He was the son of the living God. See, it makes a huge difference how we live life if he's the, if he's the healer as opposed to my everything. We'll get to that just now. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man. In other words, people didn't come and tell you this. You didn't receive this because a professor came and said to you, now I want you to understand the doctrine of whatever, Christology. You, we didn't learn this. We didn't teach you this. So it wasn't something that someone came to you. And I'm saying this on purpose, and I'm laboring it on purpose, because a lot of the things we receive about Christ is what we receive here, and not what we receive here. We receive it by understanding before we receive it by revelation. You see, and he received it. Peter received it by revelation. He received it because it was, yeah, in my heart. No one can take it away from me. I know you are. Son of the living God. This was not revealed to you by man or flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. In other words, heaven has communicated something to you which is extremely precious, and you've got it. You've got it. You've got it supernaturally. No one can show it to you just naturally because it's not naturally perceived. But I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. 
I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Strange to end it off like that, isn't it? You know, I've been with today, I've been with the Christ. Oh, Susie, where did you see him? Oh, no, we walked with him over there. Oh, okay, what did you do? And I don't know if it was because of that, the familiar talk which reduces the revelation that Jesus said to them, don't go and just spread the news around. Let them experience, let them see, let God reveal it to them from heaven so that they will really understand. The thing that really strikes me about the scripture, and I just alluded to it last time I mentioned the scripture a couple of weeks ago, was that there was a conversation that took place on earth. There's interaction that takes place on earth that has direct access into heaven. Can you imagine that what you say, can you imagine that what you say has immediate response in heaven? What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In other words, there's a direct relationship that God wants us to have that gives us access from the natural realm, from the realm that we find ourselves in, from the natural realm into the supernatural realm by what we say. Isn't that fascinating? Isn't it encouraging? I don't have to put up with all the bully. I don't. We don't have to live at the whims of the enemy. We don't. You can bind that. You can call a halt to that. You can release this. You can release that over your life. And when you do so, heaven will take note of what is happening. It's a spiritual partnership between earth and heaven. But all of this hinges on one question. Who do you say? He is. Who do you say? I want, I want, I'm not, I'm not quoting scripture now. I'm asking you. Who do you say? It's ex extremely important that we settle that question for ourselves. He can't just be the savior. He can't just be the one who saved me from, from death to life. He can't just be the good, the good shepherd. Christ, the son of the living God, is who you are for me. You see, that settled many things down the road that we're going to be experiencing. One of the things that it settles right up front is lordship, is obedience. There can't be, oh, I don't know, Lord, I want to lie in a little bit and uh, you know, speak to that person. I'll wait until I see them. You know what I'm saying? When we settle that at the beginning, we know that he's not in our employ, but we are in his employ at right at the beginning. Someone comes to you and says, hey, let me your, let me your car, please. And uh, who are you, by the way? I'm Dave. Can I borrow your car? Yeah, sure, you have the keys. None of us operate like that. So who are you? Where do you come from? Have you got a driver's license? Are you able to 
to drive my car responsibly. We'll do that with a, with a good friend that we can really trust. And that's why Jesus says to Peter, he says, there's a download of heaven that's coming your way that I understand that you have. And I understand that you have got a direct line to my daddy. He said, therefore, he has the keys. I can trust you. He has the keys. We don't have to build this relationship any longer of trust because I know you have walked with me. I've seen you. I know how you live. I know how you operate. You see, it's important that we build that relationship with God. It's not just, it's not just coming to the front and saying, I, I, I want you to serve me because an evangelist has stood up and said, I see that hand, I see that hand. Put your hand up a little bit higher. And there's one more hand, there's one more hand, and there's one more hand here. And I, Won't you put your hand up, please? It's not that. It's that if you don't put your hand up, you will be squirming in your bed when you go home. You'll be seeing yourself like it is like without Christ. And you rush to the front and say, please accept me, Jesus. Please accept me, God. I repent. In other words, I turn around from all the stuff I've been doing. It's not that I'm just very emotional about my sin. It's I turn around. I don't do it anymore. Then I know repentance has taken place. All of our faith hinders on just that one question. What is revelation? Because that's important, isn't it? Isn't it important that we get a revelation of who God is? It's not just a good um, teaching on who he is, and as great as a good teaching is, and please, I'm not, I'm not um, uh, undervaluing good teaching. We need it. But it's not just good teaching. It's a revelation that takes place in our lives that causes us to maybe stop our jobs, give everything to the poor, and come follow him. That's what Jesus said when somebody came to him and said, what must I do? He said, stop everything. Give it to the poor and come follow me. That's radical. That's radical. But that's revelation. And he's not asking all of us to do exactly the same. But he's asking us to commit our lives to him fully. And that might be in, in other areas that he needs to learn to trust us so that he can entrust us with the keys of the kingdom. Romans 16.25 says, Now, to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and proclaim the proclamation of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long past, but now revealed and made known. He said, he's just... Um, this is a doxology right at the end of the book of Revelation. He says, now to him who is able to establish us, establish you, by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ. In other words, the pro proclamation of Jesus Christ is going to establish us according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long. This, this mystery has been hidden for centuries. Christ has made it known to us. And by making it known, we receive that revelation 
of the mysteries of who he is. Through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God so that all nations might believe and obey him. Not believe him and be saved. As, as, as valuable as salvation is. Might believe and obey him. Because at the end of the day that's what he's looking for. Is obedient children. Not just a whole lot of stepchildren. But obedient children that he can trust with the keys of the kingdom. What is revelation? Revelation, if, I think in just about every writing you'll find, if you, if, you, if you say, what is revelation? It's something that is revealed that is hidden. It's something that was hidden, and now all of a sudden it's revealed. That's revelation. Revelation is a word that is commonly used in Scripture, but in, in secular writings as well, there's quite a bit written about about revelation, revealing the stuff that is hidden from the natural eye that we can receive it um, in, the, in the natural. Revelation is the supernatural communication of truth to the mind from the spirit. Revelation comes when blindness is removed. Scripture speaks about the blindness being removed and then we see everything for what it really is. When our eyes are truly opened, and we say, goodness, is this what it's about? In Acts 26, with the first lightning strike that took place, um, for Paul, he said, I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light. This was, remember when he was struck off the horse? I call that the first lightning strike. When he was struck off the horse and the lightning struck him, and he said, God, I'm calling you to turn them from darkness to light. Open their eyes so that they will see what light looks like away from darkness. And from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That's the essence of revelation. The essence of revelation is that people will truly see Jesus for who he is. Truly see the glory, the majesty, the miracle working God, the one who is above all nature, the one who we can call on in every situation and trouble that we find ourselves in. It's not to be confused with knowledge. They reckon Bonner Institute reckons that 2% of Christians actually share their faith. 2%, but something like 90% do courses. Something like 90% will go to this Bible study, and that Bible study, and this Bible study, and that Bible study, but 2% share their faith. 2% will come to somebody and say, ah, Jesus has got the answer for you. Two out of 100. It's sad, isn't it? What's happened to the others, the other 98? is they haven't really got a revelation of who Jesus is. If I've got the cure for cancer, you'll know it. Especially if you've got cancer. If I've got the cure for AIDS, and it's a sure cure. In other words, it's, it's been established that it's 100% cure. I will want to stand from the rooftop and shout, I've got the cure for AIDS. We've got the cure for sin, eternal hell, and judgment. 
We have. We ha it's that serious. It's worse than AIDS, that condition. Because we die in that. We go to hell. Our friends die in it. Our family dies in it. They go to hell. They're all eternally lost. AIDS might just be for a short period while we're living on the face of this earth. But to die without Jesus is permanent damnation. It's permanent death. Body, soul, and spirit. And so when we get a revelation of how serious it is, when we get a re revelation of how sure the cure is that we carry, we have to get serious about the cure that we carry. Surely. We have to get serious about it. <coughs> it's not about knowledge. It's not about putting people in. It's not about even lining people up in church. It's about people having a change of heart. You see, that's Jesus says, I will build my church. We don't have to go around having programs and fancy things to try and make the church big and make the church popular. Not at all. We can just heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, and get busy with the business that God has called us to. When that happens, the church will be built. People will come to Jesus. Whatever church it might be, as long as it's a life-giving church. It's not knowledge. It's a revelation. The greatest prayer we can pray is, Lord, give me a revelation of who I am. Give me a true revelation. The second most important question you can even ask yourself. First one is, who are you, Father? Show yourself to me, please. Give me a revelation of who you are. Second most important question they can ask is, Lord, who am I? Who am I? Help me understand in the context of who you are, who I am. God's called us to bear fruit, to bear good fruit that will last. If we love Jesus, we've already had a revelation of who he is. You cannot love him without a revelation of who he is. And let's get rid of the misnomer that we found God because he's been searching for us right from the beginning of time. He's been waiting for us to come to him. I want us to pray for our unsaved friends over the season. But can we do that? Can, if, even if this morning has just been to encourage us to pray for our unsaved friends, for people that we come in contact with. C.S. Lewis said, we can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasure, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is a megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I don't think there's been anything more profound written about revelation than that. We can ignore even pleasure and how, how the world runs for that. But pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. How do we pray for people? Don't quieten the pain. 
It's the first thing that people are experiencing is the pain. A couple of weeks ago, I preached about the lost son in the pig pen. And I'm not saying we don't reach out to people. I'm talking about lost son. I'm not speaking about people who don't know Jesus. I'm talking about people who've already committed their life to Jesus and wandered off. And if we feed a lost son in the pig pen, all we do is keep him there. All we do is keep him in the keep him happy in his misery for long enough. I know it's radical. Because all of us just want to give and give and help and help him up and help him out. And I'm not saying that there's opportunities for us to do that. Please, I'm not saying that. Because often the best thing we can do is to help a brother up. And I want to be part of that, is to help a brother up. But if there's pain, and in that pain, thrashing around, shouting about how bad it is to his daddy, shouting about how bad it is to God, I don't want part of that. But darling, it's a vicky. Find yourself. Find out really who your daddy is. Oh, my daddy's got many servants that are even better treated than me. Find out who you are. Here I'm stuck in a big bed. I need a daddy right now. Even if I go as a servant to him, it'll be good enough. Love to be his servant now, then I won't be part of the big pen. Sometimes the pain, the pleasure of our pain, and the pleasure of the circumstances in our pain is the very thing that shouts out for our salvation, as C.S. Lewis says. Shouts out for our salvation. Don't, I mustn't say too much about this. I'll speak myself in a corner. But we've had loved ones. Jill and I, we stand together, we say, the last thing we give now is money. The last thing we give now is money. Let them come to the end of themselves. We've maybe got the money. Let them come to the end of themselves. When they're at the end of themselves, then they might come to us. They might humble themselves enough to say, look where I'm at. It's a misery. Don't shield away from pain. Pain can be a gift. Then the second thing we can pray for, Father, I want to pray, the first thing I pray, Father, I want to pray that this pain speaks to his heart, shouts to him about who you are. The minute you tell me, I'll rush to his side, but you speak to me. Save him, Lord. Second thing we pray is, Lord, I want to pray that you'll remove the scales from his eyes so that he can see who you are. He needs a revelation of you, not a revelation of my goodness. Not a revelation of how clever I am. And that's what I had a problem with these evangelism courses I went on, is that they teach you, if you go and see this, he says that, and this, then you, go, then you do that. If he does that, then you do that. And at the end of the day, you, you paint him into a corner, and then you say, do you want to serve Jesus and to get rid of me? He says, yes, I will. And all I've done is show him how clever I am. Haven't brought him to the place where he's desperate. Desperate for Jesus. Hasn't brought a fresh revelation in his heart as to where his salvation really lies. 
So I don't want to back a sinner into the corner. In fact, I want to give him more rope. Give him more rope. If he wants everything that I've, all my inheritance, yeah, I want all, okay, here it is. That's exactly what God does. Here it is. Cheers. I mean, imagine that. Imagine a dad's heart. And God's, Jesus is speaking about the father when he says that. Cheers. And he says he went into a foreign country, spent it all on wild living. And then eventually when it was all gone and then famine came to the land, he found himself amongst the pigs. And that was the beginning of salvation. So, Father, I want to pray for this person. I want to pray for this person. I want to pray, Lord, that you would come and bring salvation to this person. Put his name in front of you. Put his image in front of you. It is painful for us to watch. And sometimes it's more painful for us to watch than it is for the person experiencing it. Father, you bring a revelation to him as to who you are. In Jesus' name. Take the scales from his eyes, Lord. Take the scales, take the blindness away so that he can truly see you for who you are. Father, I want to tell you that I love him and I want to see his salvation. I want to be part of the plan. Father, I can do nothing if he doesn't know who you are. I can do nothing. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's go and pray for our friends, our family, even strangers that we see, and they start to inquire about Jesus. Sometimes they would already receive the revelation. Ask them enough questions to, to see if they know who Jesus is.